Titus chapter three is where, is where we find ourselves. Uh, man, I'm excited about this, this section of scripture. I'm learning so much through the book of Titus and that's kind of why I slowed down on y'all. I apologize about that a little bit, but uh, you know, you got to learn. So Titus chapter three, uh, we got through the first two verses last week. It was awesome. We were making our way, but uh, verses one and two last week of Titus chapter three, they, they read as follows. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. And I would encourage you last week, if you, if you missed that out, go talk about it. I talked the balance about uh, submission and obedience to government and all that type of stuff and similar stuff that we're going, we're going through as a people when that's appropriate, when it isn't our witness, both in our submission, but also when to depart. And so those are important topics. I would encourage you to go listen to that last week. And obviously the message title is our witness to the world part one out of Titus chapter three. But Paul continues here in verses one and, and two to remind believers of who they're to be. And this is kind of the, the whole thing in Titus. This is who you're to be. And, and in chapter one, we had, listen, leaders are to be this. And he lays out what leaders are to be. And then in chapter two, this is what a godly church is to be in discipleship. And so it's our relationship to one another. And that's the focus there of chapter two, how we're to be towards one another, how we're to grow in discipleship in those areas. And here in chapter three, now Titus, uh, Paul is speaking to Titus. He pivots off of those two areas, off of leadership, off to our church fellowship. And now he points us out to our world, the world around us, how we're to be witnesses to the world around us. And as we discussed last week, our witness to the world around us, Paul divides into two categories. There's lots more, but the major categories he divided into were two. He said the rulers and authorities. So those who govern. And he says, then he goes and everybody else. And that's usually how it works. You know, there's those who are ruling and those who aren't. And so that's kind of how he broke it up. And so Paul emphasized in those first two verses, the attitudes and the actions that we are to have as believers towards rulers and authorities, and that we are to the at, have the attitude of submission. And that's our default attitude as believers. And that we are to have actions that would reflect obedience and good works. That's, that's what the Lord teaches us to do. And then secondly, with regards to all people, our actions are to avoid uh, speaking evil about people and quarreling and fighting with one another. Uh, but rather in the positive, we're to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. And what point Paul is pointing out here in these first two verses uh, that the church must remember when I say the church, I'm talking about believers we must remember that we witness through Christ, not only through the gospel preached, but the gospel lived not only through the gospel preached, but the gospel lived the attitudes and actions towards rulers and authorities and also those around us. And when we depart from submission, when we depart from uh, certain things, it, there has to be a, a good biblical reason for it because we're following the Lord. And now as we pick up in verse three this morning, Paul reminds us why we submit why we obey, uh, why we abstain from speaking evil to one another, why we, why we don't quarrel, why we actually are to demonstrate now gentleness 
towards those around us and perfect courtesy towards all, right? Verse three says, as we're picking up this morning, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And so Paul there in verse three, uh, he, he reminds us in verse three that our witness is a witness of change. Our witness is a witness of change. And you know, I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see that's the witness to the world around us, right? The first description here uh, uh, in verse three is what typifies our old lives. This is what typifies our old lives. And in the first word, he says there of what our old lives were like, he says, you were once this way. He says, you were once what? Foolish. You were once foolish. And I'm, I'm absolutely certain Paul throws himself into that. And the idea of foolish is not necessarily dumb. That's not the idea behind the word foolish. Foolish means you're absolutely, totally ignorant of an area of understanding. And so it's possible like Paul to be highly educated, to be super religious, to have um, all the pedigrees, to have high positions and be totally foolish in the things of God. And he talks about that in second Corinthians 11, as he flips it around and says, listen, I'm going to do some crazy boasting here. And it was all hyperbole and stuff, but he's saying, listen, this is, this is who I am. If I could boast, if anybody could boast, I could boast in it. But he said, listen, I was, I was foolish in leaning into myself on these things. Actually, I had no idea until Christ injected himself into my life, what God was truly about and all these types of things. I'm obviously paraphrasing there, but same with us. Although we might have street knowledge, although I'm out, we, we might have, you know, been schooled in church or whether we might have not even had any of that stuff or be highly educated or whatever it might be. Uh, when it comes to knowing God, we were all foolish in one way or another before God came to us, before we came to the Lord and this foolishness manifested itself in a life. And he goes on there of disobedience. That's what marked us before. We were disobedient towards God. And, and this was our natural tendency before God. Think about it like disobedient to what? Well, just think about the 10 commandments. This is a, this is a perfect example of our inability to obey God. He lays out the 10 commandments, not so that we would do them and attain righteousness. No, the law was given to show us how absolutely utterly short we fall before a holy God that we can't keep it. That's the purpose of the law to drive us to a savior. Amen but have no other God before for you have no idols. Don't take his name in vain. Keep the Sabbath, honor your mother and your father, right? Uh, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't covet. Those things are, are areas in which we, uh, we fall short. We are disobedient in God. And that actually typifies a person who is unsaved, but, by the way, Jesus came along and said, not only is it the outward actions, not only is it doing this on the outward actions, but God actually requires purity in the heart. It's worse than we think. It's not just not murdering. It's not murdering someone in your heart. 
It's not having, okay, so I don't have any idols. Great. No, it's having another idol in your heart before God. So it's, it's worse. And Christ showed us that we are hopelessly disobedient apart from God's intervention. We were led astray. Isaiah 56 is another example. We were disobedient, but we were led astray. How were we led astray? Well, Isaiah 53 describes us saying, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've gone astray. Well, and we have turned everyone to his own way. So who's leading the astray there? Me, you leading your own, your own heart, your own deceitful heart is leading you astray. And that's the problem with us. James 1 14 mirrors this. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We're led away by our own evil desires. God doesn't tempt with evil. That, that isn't the issue. It's my own heart that wants to go after these things. And so not only does our own heart lead us astray, we've got someone who plays upon us to lead us astray. We've got an enemy, an adversary, and his name is the, is Satan, the devil, right? Lucifer. In the Lord's prayer, we read in Matthew six thirteen. What, what do we read? We're taught to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from whom? The evil one. Is it God leading us into temptation? Is that what they're saying there? No, don't let us be led by the enemy off into temptation. Intervene God. Cause that's where my wicked heart will want to go. Amen. The evil one leads us in temptations. Ephesians 2, 2. Another one says that we were once following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2, 2. Good things to write down. That we were led astray. So we're led, our own hearts want to lead us astray. The enemy leads us astray. And we've got a world around us that's set up by sin and brokenness that pulls on those desires, those fallen desires. So we're sunk, it seems. We're led astray. And then it says, he goes on and says, we're also not only led astray, but we're slaves to various passions and pleasures. He's speaking in broad strokes here. But if you go to Galatians chapter five, verses uh, 19 through 20, he, Paul lists some, it's all over the place in the new Testament, but I'll just lead some of these passions and all this stuff that we're, we were slaves to. Now he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. This is Galatians five nineteen and 20. For those of you who are taking notes, it says the, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, which has the word pharmakeia in it, which is where we get the word pharmacy. So just kind of go into the pharmacy. No, I'm just, it's, Obviously it had to do with, with drug interactions in the spiritual world and all this kind of stuff that was associated with pagan rituals. And that's still going on today, but uh, yeah, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, not exhaustive. Just a, that kind of stuff is the things that we were enslaved to. You might be looking at list go, nah, I only have one of those. Well, yeah, you were enslaved to it. 31 flavors of sin, right? And, uh, and there were more. He says things like these. We were mastered by our flesh. And that's the idea is that we didn't have uh, the Lord, the spirit within us. Uh, we were ruled by our flesh. And Paul also says that we were, in addition to being led by our flesh, bastard by our flesh, he says, we were passing our days in malice and envy. And 
and we were speaking evil of God and of others. And we were envious of those around us. And that's the idea there. And, and also we were hated by others and we hated one another. Think of our society right now. It is typified by hating one another. There's all these banners of, I love one another, but it's not God's love. Loving one another. No, we were, we, we have a tendency towards these things to hate one another. We have a tendency towards violence and malice and, and, and speaking evil towards one another. This is, this is the human condition. And so Paul in verse three is reminding the church of what kind of bondage we were in. And again, he's speaking in a broad stroke to the Cretans, right? Total pagan lost culture. And we can just kind of take those and put them on us too. There's probably other ones we could add in there. Amen. Yes, we could. And this is important for us to remember, not only because it reminds us of the contrast of our witness to the loss around us through our attitudes and actions, we've been changed, but it also reminds us of who we're witnessing to. You're witnessing to people who were just like you, just like me, absolutely, totally lost without God's grace in our lives. Amen. What do you expect of them? What did you expect of yourself? I think we can get real frustrated when we try to make the world moral around us. Yeah. How's that working? Will you please put lipstick on? Get out of the mud. I don't like your mud. That's not that we don't shine light and we don't stand and, 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 and depart from those things. But what do we truly expect? From, do you remember you? When you were lost? You're just absolutely lost. I was totally lost. Going my way. I wanted to do good things, but man, I was a slave. I was gone. But what changed in us church? When I say church. I mean, believers, people have been born again. What, what happened to you? Verse four happened to you. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared in verse five, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to what his own mercy How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What happened to us? What happened to you? God's goodness. God's goodness happened to you. It happened to me. God's loving kindness appeared. You see that Jesus Christ happened. He came to us in our foolishness, in our disobedience, in our slavery to the flesh, in our malice, in our hate, in our envy, in all those things that ruled us. And he saved us. You see, in spite of our foolishness, our disobedience, our fleshiness, our hate prone lives. God's goodness appeared. And verse five, he saved us not because of 
by us and works, works done by us in righteousness. That's not the reason God didn't save you because of the good things you do. That's not God's motive. It's not his reason for saving you. That's not how you were saved because of you and your good works. But according to what? Just his flat out mercy. That's who he is. He's just merciful to sinners. This is why Paul said, I'm chief of sinners. God had so much mercy on me. Anyone else? We weren't worthy of his goodness. Jesus Christ came to us in our foolishness and disobedience. He saved us. We weren't worthy of his goodness, of his loving kindness. We didn't earn salvation by anything we have done or had done. God's goodness and loving kindness towards us was just according to his own mercy. If it wasn't for God's mercy, we would still be totally lost. He was abundantly merciful towards us, towards me, towards you. He decided not to give us what we deserve. Hell and judgment, judgment and hell. Instead, he decided to give us what we didn't deserve. Life, eternal life, forgiveness of sins. Being adopted, Ephesians 1, read it. All the things he decided to do. Through the death and resurrection of his son. God is just that way. He's just that way towards us. He just is good and he loves us and he's just merciful and he's gracious and he desires to save. That is how he is. This is not minimizing the justice of God. Paul echoed this. It's, this is the stuff he wrote over and over to the churches. This isn't just a one-off Ephesians two, one through five. I'll read it. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is working now son of disobedience. This is the stuff he's just writing in, in the first, wrote in the first couple verses there. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We are all lost carrying out the desires of the body. And in the mind, we were by nature children of wrath. That's who we were like the rest of mankind. Well, what happened? Verse four, but God being what in mercy, stingy in mercy, rich in mercy, very rich in mercy because of the minimal love with which he loved us because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. By grace, God's grace. God intervened. Our, our God being rich in mercy towards us. This is Paul's point. How did God treat you when you were lost? How did God come to you when you were lost? How? Did he save us actually? And, and this is, I just want to go on this in verse five and six. He did it by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy spirit. And this is something only God can do. 
by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy spirit, whom he poured out on us. What? Richly. See these verses abundantly, richly great. This is how he was towards us. He poured out his Holy spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior, washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy spirit. This speaks of the work of the Holy spirit. That he does in cleansing us from our sin. When we put our faith in Christ, when we came to Christ, we were cleansed of our sin. He washed us clean. We read about this in Psalm 51, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter as snow. And this is that idiom that God gives us is that we were once sin stained and he cleans us, cleans us so clean that it, there's a righteousness that's in us now that was imputed to us by Christ. We're now clean. That's amazing. I, I, we can't understand that. John 1:29. the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, behold, the lamb of God who does what takes away the sins of the world. He washes us clean. So there's the getting rid of sin in our life. And then he renews us. He gives us new life, the regeneration, the Holy spirit now indwells in us. He's given us new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We were who once dead now are alive spiritually through faith. He renewed us. He gives us new life. And when a person is born again through faith in, in Jesus Christ, God doesn't hold back. He pours out his Holy spirit on you richly. You are sealed with the Holy spirit. And he continues that work in you until the day you see him. The Holy spirit is poured on us richly, liberally through Jesus Christ, through Christ's death and his resurrection and faith in him. Just look at everything that God has done for us so far. This is what Paul is pointing out. Look what God has done. His goodness and his loving kindness appeared to us in our foolishness and fill in the rest of the blank. He had abundant mercy on us. He saved us. And that he washed us and he regenerated us, poured out his Holy spirit upon us, gave us new life. Now, what was in God's mind? What, what was his purpose in all this? He tells us, keep reading verse seven. So that being justified made just as if you'd never sinned. That's what that word justified being justified by his grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God had in mind your justification through <laughs> when he came to you, he had in mind, not only to save you from your sin, but to bring you into fellowship with him for all eternity that you would be a have not only, you know, you'd be saved from sin and, and the power of sin, but it, there wouldn't be the presence of sin around you. Eventually you just be in his presence that where Christ was from eternity past with the father face to face, John one, one, that we too would be where they are in that perfect fellowship. And let me say that heaven is going to be awesome. Whatever it is, it's way better than whatever you're into. It's way better. Can't even get it. Become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We were justified. This is declared not guilty in this sight. Amen. By grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, we were saved from the penalty of sin and by God's grace, because God had in mind our glorification. He wanted to finish what he began. He had, he has a, 
He has a plan for you, not only in this life, but in the age to come. And there's a bunch of verses there, but he made us sons and daughters of the most high. He adopted you to enjoy him forever and ever. And here's the big picture. If God was this way towards us with that end, with that goal in mind, how ought we to be towards the world around us? It revolutionizes evangelism, doesn't it? Instead of just being frustrated with them for being what they are, just like we are. Doesn't that change things? Church believers, those who have received the mercy of God through Jesus writing this down, I want to read it. We are, we're not only those who have been on the receiving end of the goodness and and, and loving kindness of God in Christ Jesus. We are now to be on the giving end of the goodness and loving kindness of God. Appearing in the lives of the lost and testifying to the lost around us, the gospel of Jesus Christ in our message, in our attitude and in our works. And of course, if they hated him, they will hate us also. That's a promise. Expect it. But regardless of how the world acts, what does our father expect of us? How his son acted. We don't engage in darkness. That's our witness. Amen. But also think of how merciful Jesus was. Of the things he went into and engaged in and worked with being spotless and sinless and holy in it all. How he showed the love of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the kindness of God. It's this kindness that leads us to repentance. I need more of this in my life. And in verse eight, Paul insists that we do this. It says the saying is trustworthy. And I want you, I want you to insist Titus on these things. Pastor Matt elders, we have to insist on this. This is a non-negotiable church for me and for us. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. How you live among unbelievers is a witness. These things are excellent and they are profitable for people. Man, it's going to benefit them not only in temporal things as we are a blessing in this culture around us, but eternally it is profitable for them ultimately. And that's the big aim. Amen. Paul is saying the good works are what we're to be looking for and engaged in. And they reflect the God whose goodness appeared to us. He was good towards us and good works. We could be good to others, right? So we got to be careful to devote ourselves to good works. Verse nine, what gets in the way of our witness? What gets in the way of your witness of my witness? Two big things here, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarreling about the law for they are unprofitable and worthless. Okay. What Paul is speaking to here is if you go back to chapter one, he's talking about those teachers that kind of came in and were teaching things that weren't leading to good works that weren't leading to a good witness, but they were causing dissension within the body. They were calling, causing division. They were playing upon people's fleshly appetites and we we're getting divided. It was dividing the body of Christ over things that shouldn't, shouldn't divide us. That's what was going on. 
These teachers were fostering people back into unsaved behavior. Okay. Remember back in chapter one, again, he says there in verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate means they're out of line. They're empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. Not this isn't make them swim with the fishes. As I've said, this is, you've got to confront it with, with you, not only your doctrine and your living Titus, you're in charge of addressing those people that are coming in and, and pulling the church. So there's a leadership element there in chapter one. Since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, what they ought not to teach their motive. Wasn't, wasn't the gospel and honoring God. It was money. It was possessions. It was fleecing the flock. We've talked about that in Learjets and all that good stuff. But this is what Paul is addressing here. The false teaching, teaching leaders, uh, people leading into people, leading people into a false witness for Christ. The teachings of Christ are to actually to result in good works, right? A good witness. But these teachers came in and he identifies them there. Um, these Jews were leading people into strange teachings away from, away from just the central elements of the gospel. And in particular, they were leading people into foolish controversies. Anybody been involved with foolish controversies lately? Genealogies, 23 and me. I'm just, you know, dissensions and quarrels about the law, the law of Moses and all those types of things. Right. And you can, I just put it into our thing. Quarrels about the law. And Paul says, these things are worthless. Unlike sound doctrine, unlike the teachings of Christ, they lead us into areas that we don't need to go. They're not going to profit anybody. Paul says to avoid it. So one thing that's going to ruin your witness is to get off on tangents that the scriptures don't emphasize. Make sense. Avoid that. It isn't excellent for anybody. It's not beneficial, even if you're right. So we got to hold fast to sound doctrine and abandon discussions. But then verse 10, it's not only about the discussions that lead into the discussions that aren't profitable. What is it? Verse 10, as for the person who stirs up division, as for the person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and a self-condemned, the person, this person is someone in the church that is influencing believers that will not stop with the foolish controversies. They will not stop with the divisions, the discussions about genealogies, all these tangents, pulling people away from the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And someone who abandons orthodoxy. And that's what this word means to the word stirs up division has the, is where we get our word heretic from. It means they depart from the standard teaching and they start pulling people off into all these weird angles. It's not orthodox. It's not just the main flow of the teaching of Christ. This is, he says, first person, you got to abandon these people, not without warning them twice, because we all get off into weird stuff. Anybody else? Yes. And so we need to be warned. Hey, this is getting unhealthy. Hey, this is getting unhealthy. Come on back. And you know, most of us go, oh yeah. Okay. But isn't it cool? Yeah. Okay. But stop bringing people over to this area. Okay. Come on. We all do that. Amen. That's, that's not what he's talking about. Like iron rod thing, but it's when someone is just set in their will and they're pulling people off into this weird stuff and it happens. So that same person exists today. I mean, have you been along around church long enough? 
Anybody? You know, and someone who will not stop pulling the church away from just focusing on Jesus and what he teaches and what the scriptures teach and those main things. And we start pulling people towards another emphasis towards politics. Listen, our home Bible studies are not to be about president Trump or or president Biden. That's not the emphasis. Little correction there. Cause I've heard all of it. I've been guilty of it. Anyone else? It's not to be focused on COVID. There are, there comes a point when all this pulls us away from focusing on Jesus and onto all kinds of other stuff that ends up not being beneficial for one another. Social issues and so forth. Black lives matter, white privilege, immigration. Listen, the gospel impacts these things. And I'm saying we can't pray for them and discuss them and all this stuff, but that's not our focus. We're an overemphasis on end times. I come from a background that overemphasized end times a lot. Like being out of it, I realized there was just a super emphasis on end times, which is great because Jesus is coming. Amen. Yes, we don't throw that out. He is coming. But if all I talk to you about is about the end times and there's no other discussion there, it kind of can get unhealthy. Same with apologetics. Apologetics is necessary. We need to be able to give a reasonable response for our faith to know how to interact with the world around us. But if all I'm doing is arguing, it can become just quarreling. Does that make sense? It can become unhealthy. When we exclude the main things. And, and this is complicated. I don't have time to break everything down. We all have hearts and drives and things we're studying. I'm not discouraging you from any, any of that. Just say, when we keep the main thing, the main thing, amen. And the other things will be in perspective. That's the idea. And so there are obviously times to delve into these things as they affect our lives. I'm not saying ignore those things, but how often did Jesus talk about politics? Read the scriptures. How often, what was the emphasis of Jesus on politics? I get it all the time. Why aren't you more political? I want to be, I want to tell you what I think, and it's going to be wrong. (laughs) It's not going to help you. When there are issues that come up and are affecting the church of how we deal with stuff. Yes. When there's a call about how you're to address sexual identity. Yes. And things that are wrong in the culture, people losing their jobs and not being able to choose. Yes. We bring up these things. Why we chose to do X, Y, and Z. We bring these things up, but our main focus in this is how do we bring the gospel? Not to change the world around us while they're not saved, but how do we change them from the inside out? It's through our love and through our good works, through our witness and through not following on in the things that are of darkness too, as well. Those two witnesses. So again, some people just get off track and and need to repent. We all, we can all be there, but for the one who persists, Paul tells them to abandon them. Why? Because he's warped. He's sinful. He's self-condemned. The word warped here means perverted. That's what a pervert is. Someone who's warped, who's twisted out. 
Are there any more perverts in the world? Or has perversion become orthodoxy in our culture? Yeah. Same with what is taught. This is because they're sinful. And that means it's the idea of being full of sin. (laughs) The, but they're, they're continuing in sin. It's a way of life. It isn't, you know, that's the bent in which they go. It's not a Christian who sins. It's a sinner who is, that's just what they do that they aren't, they're not regenerated is what it is. And, and their pattern of action and words, they condemn them is what Paul is saying. They're not believers. Listen, we are not called to continue to tolerate someone who is dividing the church in this way. Actually, We need to abandon it because it's going to ruin your witness. When we do do this, this, when we let this go on, this is going to harm us. Now we're not out playing police with one another. That's not the issue. I'm not sitting here looking for sin in your life, but you know, when you come into it and someone's just driving the whole discussion always to something that needs to be addressed in love, that they would be corrected and come back, back to the Lord. And uh, there's a reason there's things that it ruins our witness. And so brothers and sisters, we have been graced with a witness to rulers and authorities and to all men. And what helps us in our witness is that we remember, this is what Paul just said. Remember who we were. Remember how Christ saved us. Remember his plan for us and look at, look at the world like that. Amen. So in light of all that, we are to abandon ungodly conversations and we, and controversies. We're to abandon people who won't repent and who keep driving us into one direction. We leave those things that ruin our witness of Jesus, but we hold tight to sound doctrine and the good works and to love. Amen. Now, real quickly closing out the chapter, cause I will close out the chapter. Verse 12, Paul says he's done. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus, so if you're looking for cool names for kids, there you go. If you, when I, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at uh, Nicopolis for I've decided to spend the winter there. So we know Paul left Titus and Crete to establish leadership, to make sure the church was taught in these things. Right. But then Paul has another work for Titus. He says, I I need you somewhere else. He's going to move them on. And so there's times when God moves leaders on in ministry. There's times when God will move you on in ministry that just happens or in life. Right. But notice what God does here. Lord's going to move him on, but Paul is going to, Paul is going to, is mindful of the needs of the church. He's going to replace them with another wise leader in his place. Two of them actually says one of these guys is going to come to you when they get there, you can go. I'm not going to leave the church abandoned. (laughs) That's this important thing, right? So Paul's mindful not to leave the church without a proper oversight. Verse 13. And then he goes, now do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So that, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. This isn't a scolding of the church. He's just saying they they need to grow in this area. And here's an opportunity for them to actually put feet to their faith. 
we say do good works. Well, guess what? There's a, there's two people coming into town. If they weren't there already, he says, now help them speed them on their way. They're here. They're, they're about the ministry and they need help. They didn't have like home Depot and, and Walmart across the street and all that stuff. They just, they just had the church. And so the church could resupply them, give them what they need, give them some clothes, give them some food, give them some money, bless them, pray for them, house them, take care of them. Those good works that the body does. Amen. Encourage them. Talk them through some hard things they've been through all that stuff that you guys do. Amen. And send them on their way. That's what Paul's saying. What an opportunity. So an opportunity to exercise devotion to good works. And finally in verse 15, Paul, as Paul typically did, and all those who are with me send greetings to you. Hey church. Thousands of miles away, 500 miles away, whatever it is. We all say, hello. We love you guys. The body of Christ is not just here. Amen. It's Jesus's church and they're all over the place. You can see the love here. All who are with me, send greetings to you. They greet you. Greet, make sure you greet those who love us in the faith believers. Make sure you greet them too. Let them know. Amen. Grace be with you all. And that's Paul's final thing. Grace, charis, that loving kindness of God. He says, be with you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this rich book. I just pray that, um, Lord, you would continue to raise up godly leaders in this church and that we would be discipled to your glory and that we'd be effective witness to the lost Lord. We repent where we need to repent and grow us in the areas where we need to grow Lord. And thank you for the opportunities you've already given us and that there's been much fruit. in. We love you. Teach us continually. Show us your ways, not our ways. Be glorified, Father. In your name, amen.